0: I want to begin by describing two churches to you, and I want you to think about which one that you'd prefer to be a part of. Uh, The first one actually comes from Acts chapter 2, but don't look it up. Just think about what it would be like to be part of this church. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to everyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. And ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Well, now I want you to think about a second church where I've just changed some of the words. The believers kept to themselves. They never met together unless they had to. Buying as much as they could for themselves, they filled their homes and failed to share with anyone in need. They would go days, sometimes weeks, without seeing each other. They failed to engage with each other in any meaningful way. Every day they ate alone in their own homes with bitter hearts, suspicious of each other, grumbling and complaining, failing to praise God, and the Lord added no one to their number. Now, it's not hard to think about which church that you'd prefer to be a part of, is it? It's obvious, there's, there's nothing more encouraging or exciting than being part of a genuine and loving church community where everyone is valued, where everyone has a place where they serve, where people feel safe, where new people are coming to know Jesus, where people are working together for the gospel. And there's nothing more soul-destroying than opening yourself up but to be part of a bickering church where everything ends in an argument where people are trying to make a name for themselves and they'll tread other people underfoot and claiming to do all that in the name of jesus now this morning as we've just read in philippians 1 and 2 god is calling us as a church to be united in working together for the gospel And Colin began to talk about this last week in chapter 1. You can't be a Christian on your own. When God calls you to himself and saves you, he calls you into partnership with other Christians. And what we see in Philippians chapter 2 is what that partnership looks like. God wants us to be a church that is working together and serving each other, but not just for the sake of serving each other, for the sake of the gospel, to be united by the gospel. And so you'll see in this passage as Graham was reading it, words like standing firm in one spirit, contending as one man, being one in spirit and purpose, being like minded. Unity, being united, it seems, is the key to being a church where Jesus is honoured. And um, that's what we're going to be looking at this morning that unity that unites a church. And we're going to be looking at why it matters. Then, what we 're to be united in, and then finally, how to achieve that unity, so firstly, point one: why unity matters, Philippians one verse twenty seven Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come or only and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know. That you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. See, unity is important here because we want to live lives that are worthy of the gospel, don't we? And a church that is living in a manner worthy of the gospel will be united. That's what Paul's saying here. If you conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel as a church, then I'll know that you stand firm in one spirit. A church that is not united is a church that is not living in a way worthy of the gospel. A church that is full of selfishness and disunity, it's not worthy of the gospel, it's a disgrace to the gospel. And as a church family, we have received the precious gospel of Jesus. And so as a church, we need to live in a way that brings Jesus honour, Now, we're all the time hearing, aren't we, in the news about football players who bring disgrace on their team by their antics down at the pub, not worthy of the position they've received. Or we hear about political figures uh, here and overseas behaving in a way that is unworthy of the position that they've received. Well, that's bad enough. But how terrible when churches bring disgrace to Jesus because of their behaviour. See, the gospel is life-changing. It's transforming. Christ died for sins once for all, the perfect son of God for guilty people like you and me to bring us to God. And that changes us. Forgiveness transforms us. Knowing Jesus changes you. And that's what chapter 2 verse 1 is about. Paul is pointing out um, all the reasons why we would want to live a life worthy of the gospel. Verse 1, if you have Any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like minded and so on. See, do you have any encouragement at all from being united with Jesus? Is there any encouragement in the fact that you, although you are an undeserving sinner, You're now friends with Jesus Christ. Is there any encouragement that you are now his? It's inconceivable that a Christian could say no, isn't it? If you have any comfort from his love, have you ever felt any comfort in the fact that Jesus loves you? Maybe when you feel lousy, when you've blown it yet again, when you've messed up, when you're hurting when you're lonely, is there any comfort in knowing that Jesus loves you and he knows just what you like and he's given his life for you? Again it's inconceivable that you could say no I don't find that comforting. Do you have any fellowship with the spirit? Does the fact that God has placed his living Holy Spirit in you give you any sense of connection with God? That he's actually put part of himself in you. That he has a desire to work in your life. Do you have any fellowship with the spirit? Again, inconceivable that any Christian could say no. The point is, and Paul goes on with more examples, this is what we have already received as Christians. And in response to that, if we have any of these, then verse 2, make my joy complete by being like-minded having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. In other words, now that we've received the gospel and we've experienced blessing from God, God wants us to be united in working together to share that gospel with others. Now, it's not just unity for unity's sake. I know unity is a bit of a buzzword. It's unity for the sake of the gospel. So there's nothing particularly Christian about unity. A lot of churches think that if you just get together and um, call it unity, there's something Christian about that. But there's unity in all sorts of areas. When there's a disaster like a flood, we see people putting aside their differences and working together for a common purpose. They're unified. Last week week at hockey, um, we played quite unified as a team. Over the last few weeks there's been a bit of grumbling and complaining about umpires, people losing their temper, people going home early, people getting yellow cards, all from our team. And so on Wednesday we had a game we had to win, it was our last chance to get into the finals, and so the captain gave us a bit of a, t- a pep talk. Righto, fellas, I want us to play together tonight, I want you talking to each other, let's leave the stupid talk off the field, let's go out there and play as a team. Well, we did. We played as a team, but we didn't win. We're out of the finals. But that's what unity is. One mind, one purpose, work together as a team. Now, in Philippians, uh, God is not calling us to be unified just for the sake of unity. Unity is not always a good thing. Herod and Pontius Pilate were unified in their plot to kill Jesus. They were enemies before that point, and on that day, they became friends. Unity is not always a good thing. What are we to be unified about? Well, verse 27, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I'll know that you stand firm in one spirit contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. That's what we're to be unified in. Working together for the gospel. Now Paul spells out practically what that will look like in a church family in verse 3 of chapter 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. See, because Jesus has served us, we should have that same attitude as we serve each other. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In other words, we're not to be motivated by what we can get for ourselves. We're not to be motivated by what's best for us. We're not to be motivated by what suits us, by what most benefits us. That's not living a life worthy of the gospel. If we have a church full of people who are coming along for their own benefit, that will not result in the spread of the gospel. It will result in disappointment. It will result in a church where people are complaining because their needs are not met. Verse 3, there's a better way. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better. And better here means literally more important. It's not like, okay, you're a better squash player than me. That's just false humility. It's, I'm considering you more important. But in humility, consider others more important than yourselves. That's to be our attitude in the church family. Other people's needs are more important than mine. How can I best serve them? How can I benefit someone else? How can I help someone else know jesus better now generally i know that we have good days and we have bad days we have days when we come to church with good motives and we have days when we come to church with bad motives but generally what motivates you to come to church what motivates where you sit what motivates who you talk to what motivates what you talk about What motivates when you finish that conversation and move on to talk to someone else? Is it all for your own benefit? Or are you here to benefit other people and look out for their interests? As you walk through the door, are you thinking, I hope this is worth getting out of bed for today. I hope this is going to encourage me. Or are you thinking, who can I encourage Who's someone who perhaps needs me to encourage them? Because if you come to church for what you can get out of it, you're not having the same attitude as Jesus. It's not just that you're being selfish and that other people will miss out because you don't encourage them. It's worse than that. You are not honoring the Lord Jesus. If you come to church for what you can get out of it, you're not living a life worthy of the gospel. Now, that's hard. That's very hard, isn't it? Because naturally we're not like that. Naturally, we want what's best for us. Naturally, we want our rights. Naturally, we're always on the lookout to make sure that we're looked after. Perhaps we make little mental tallies of how many times we've helped out with something and little notes of how many times other people haven't helped out naturally we feel sorry for ourselves when we miss out on things naturally when we serve someone else we expect that perhaps sometime in the future they'll help us back and when they don't well perhaps we sometimes get disappointed about it the, that is the natural way to act and the gospel is calling us to act in a way that is not natural that when people see it they'll see that we're different. The gospel is calling us to act in a way that can only be explained if Jesus died and rose from the dead and he's going to return and raise us to be with him. And to help us out with that, because we do need help, Paul holds out the example of Jesus. There's no better way to learn a new hobby than to watch someone who's good at it. There's, no, there's nothing like having a good example to follow. Paul holds out Jesus for us as an example of how to serve. Look at verse 5 with me. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus gave up everything. He made himself nothing. Verse 6 says that he was in very nature God. You don't get any more important than that. And unlike Adam, who wanted to be like God, unlike us, trying to be like God, trying to make a name for ourselves, Jesus let go of that. He didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. He made himself nothing. He lowered himself. He became a man. And not just any man. He went lower. He became a servant. Jesus was someone who considered that other people were more important than him, even though he was God. And as you read the Gospels, you see it. He's tired. He wants to have a rest. And yet people come to him and he helps them. But that wasn't enough that he became a servant. He went even lower. Verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death. Even death on a cross. Jesus was so concerned for our interests. That he let himself be crucified for us. Jesus wasn't looking out for his own interests, he was looking out for ours. And here, we're being called to have the same attitude. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Not that you'll do the same as he did, what would Jesus do? But your attitude should be the same as his attitude, that other people are more important than you. If I was to ask you, who's someone who you'd like to be like? I mean, is there someone that you'd like to have some of their talent or some of their looks or some of their personality or some of their skills? And where where does your mind go when you hear that question? Who would you like to be like? Does it go to some famous person on a magazine cover? does it go to someone rich someone successful someone who's a bit further on in your career than you someone good at sport is there someone that you want to be like if you're a follower of jesus your answer to that question must be about the person that you most want to be like jesus our highest ambition should be to be a servant like he was ambitions that are to do with us rising to the top of the pack are not worthy of the gospel we need to aspire to be like jesus a servant our fears that we might miss out on something that we might be overlooked they're not worthy of the gospel the key to living a life worthy of the gospel is lowering ourselves and serving each other now it sounds Pretty ordinary, doesn't it? Looking out for other people, don't care if you don't get ahead. It looks so unimpressive, but it's impressive to God. God notices the person who lowers themselves for others. Look at verse 9. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The person who most lowered himself was most exalted and Jesus says those who are humble will be exalted and those who are exalted will be brought down. Now, they say the hardest um, position to play in an orchestra is the second violin, the second fiddle, because it's the first violin that plays the main part. It's the first violin that plays the part that everyone remembers and they go um, home humming it. And yet the second violin needs to have all the skills of the first violinist, if not more, and yet they play the background role. They are there not to be noticed. Now, that's the attitude we need to have. We don't want to be noticed. We want Jesus to have the first place, and so we're willing to step back and serve others. Now, I've heard it said before that if everyone in church comes along to church with the attitude of serving other people, then when we come to church, All our needs will be met because everyone is serving each other. And in fact, I had a kid's talk this morning about that. But then I realized that is not at all the motivation Philippians is giving us. It's not saying serve so that when everyone in the church family served, you'll go away served yourself. That's appealing to a selfish motive. It's actually appealing to something higher than that. Serve and even if no one serves you, keep serving. Because that'll make you like Jesus. And that's living a life worthy of the gospel. And don't complain and grumble when people don't serve you, just keep serving. Whatever happens, whatever other people do, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, worthy of the Lord Jesus who died for you. So remember those two churches at the start? All the believers were together and had everything in common. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Or the believers kept to themselves. They never met together unless they had to. They failed to share with anyone in need. They failed to engage with each other in any meaningful way. Every day they ate alone in their own homes with bitter hearts, grumbling and complaining, and the Lord added no one to their number. I wonder which church you'd prefer to belong to. Well, the kind of church that morning church will be depends on you. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, this is a a hard passage for us to hear because we confess that naturally we are so unlike this. We're all the time looking out for our own interests. We want other people to serve us. We want what's best for us. Father, we bring all that and we confess it to you as, as the selfishness that it is. And we pray that you would make us more like Jesus. Thank you that he didn't have that attitude. That he didn't complain. That he didn't grumble. That he didn't stick up for his rights. But that he willingly humbled himself to death for us. And Father, we pray that having come to know him, having been united with him, having tasted his love, having fellowship with you, that we might now add to that and have the same attitude of Jesus, where above all things we want to promote the gospel and we want to serve each other. Father, this is not natural. We need your spirit at work in us to be like this. And we pray that you would indeed change us. We pray these things not for our own sake, not for morning church, but that Jesus would be honoured. Amen.